Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. And this week, I'm excited to bring you this conversation with Chris Shields of Rheingeist Brewery on the important need for beer education by both breweries and consumers. But first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can find original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Beer Travelers and Brewer to Brewer and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do, it's supported by you. So please go visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. A few bucks goes a long way to help keep the content fresh and to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising on this show or any of our shows, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that... We'll get into the show in just a moment, but first, Ryan Sharp is here. He is the producer of the Best of Craft Beer Awards, which is a sponsor of this episode. And Ryan, welcome. I, I've had the chance to judge these awards in the past, and you know I'm not actually blowing smoke when I say that I was impressed with both the professionalism of the process as well as the caliber of my fellow judges. Clearly, I was the weakest link at the table at the time. <laughs> but for, for those who are unfamiliar with the Best of Craft Beer Awards, tell the brewers listening about it and what it offers breweries. Ah, all right. Thank you, John. Um, yeah, we... Uh, what it offers is we attract a lot of the same judges as the other big competitions in Denver and elsewhere. And so entrants are getting the same caliber of feedback. Uh, and we provide table notes from the mid and metal rounds so they have a better idea why their beer did or didn't advance. And we think there's value to that beyond the initial judge feedback. So what's new for the awards this year? Uh, this year, we've added a smoothie sour category and a collaboration category that's judged as kind of its own separate thing as a best in show format. All right. You're going to be back with me at the bottom of the show to talk more about the awards. But for now, brewers, go register your beers through January 31st of 2024 by visiting bestofcraftbeerawards.com slash register. Seriously, don't delay. You can learn more about the competition and get your beers signed up by visiting bestofcraftbeerawards.com slash register. Okay, let me tell you about my guest today in his own words. Chris Shields is the Director of Education for Rheingeist Brewery in Cincinnati, Ohio, where he performs staff, partner, and public engagement and outreach activities on beer and brewing. Before this role, he served as a brewer during Rheingeist's rapid growth and helped develop their cider program. Before that, he was head brewer at Mystery Brewing in North Carolina for four years. With a decade of experience in the industry, he is an advanced Cicerone, a BJCP judge, a certified cider professional, and serves on the Education Committee for the Ohio Craft Brewers Association. He also holds an MS in Biological Sciences and has studied at Siebel. He represents Rheingeist and the Hop Quality Group, the Brewers Association Drought Beer Quality Subcommittee, and is also honored to serve as a BA mentor. Originally, I had hoped to sit down with Chris on a recent trip to Ohio, but equipment issues at the time delayed the conversation. And that actually wound up working out in the long run because I was able to get his take on the recent conference and the role it and others are playing in educating brewers and in turn drinkers. This conversation is also going deep into the moves that Rangais made early on that helped pave the path of success it's had over the last decade. Here's our conversation. 
first, thanks for doing this. And I was thinking about some of the conversations that we had at the Ohio Brewers Guild conference uh, a couple of weeks ago. And this is sort of a, a fun opportunity because we were supposed to record there and I had equipment problems. But now with the benefit of what, 10 days behind us from that conference, I'm curious about your takeaways of being in that confined space, being among colleagues and peers and other folks industry adjacent. What did you leave that conference with sort of feeling about one, the state of Ohio beer, but you know, two, where the industry may be in general? Yeah. Um, I think, I think as with uh, a lot of, a lot of times and and a lot of the recent um, events I've been to, they, the last few things I've attended, the Ohio conference included, I I feel like people are um, in, in pretty good spirits and pretty excited for what's to come. And not to say that there aren't challenges. There certainly are. It's a big, you know, big topic on everyone's mind and, there was, you know, discussions about that at the Ohio conference. And, but I think people feel like we're, we're addressing some of these challenges a little bit more head on. Um, And I think that that comes at us in a few different avenues, you know, different challenges need different resources and different expertise. One of the things I love about the Ohio conference is, we, we do get a really good range of uh, experiences and, you know, um, longevity, you know, we're, we're fortunate to have great lakes uh, in the state, you know, they've been around for several decades. Um, yeah. Know, I think they so hit that, 30 this year. Yeah. Yeah. It was 30 or 35. I I, I was going to say, but I oh yeah, it might've been 35. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard to but, keep up know, at some point. Yeah, exactly. But you know, that level of um, consistency and um, you know, there's still, you know, bringing new brands to market that are seeing success, right? And while at the same time, maintaining these brands that we all know and love that have been around for, you know, for decades and they participate in the conference. And so does the, you know, one and a half barrel tap room only, you know, local breweries. And I, I love seeing the different avenues that people use to approach challenges and the, the, the collaborative aspect of the brewing industry is one of the things that has initially drew me in, but also keeps me engaged and and interested. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that everybody's not out there trying to, trying to sell beer and and trying to have a successful business. You know, I think sometimes that, that attitude gets a little misconstrued and that like everything's fun all the time and no one ever, gets upset but that doesn't it doesn't mean the opposite either right like it's still a brewery is our first phone call if we can't handle something in-house and that's rare and i think people outside the industry maybe don't have a, a full understanding of that but um i think we take it for granted a little bit yeah it, it, it's interesting to hear you focus on some of the positives among the challenges like there that there is still this undercurrent of maybe a little bit of hope or the excitement around it because 
and and I and I'll include us in this, uh, us being all about beer. Like you know, I, I talk to a lot of folks, and there seems to be doom and gloom. Um, uh, you know, there's worry about the economy. There's worrying about, um, although less so these days. But there's there's, um, you know, just sort of worrying about where the industry is headed. So there are these threads of positivity that I don't know that still exists, but it's nice to hear you put that first and foremost and not, you know, Oh, the sky is falling kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think to, to some extent, if, um, you know, if I, if I thought the sky was falling, I'd be, you know, I'd be applying for, I don't know what the hell I would do, but I'd be applying for jobs <laughs> outside the industry or something. Right. Um, I, I do think there's hope. I, I, I also am, am, not blind to the challenges. You know, we've, you know, beer is operationally flat at best right now. Right. Um, but it's also important to remember that like beer overall is not every brewery. And if there are things that, that we can do or that anyone can do that pushes that needle positive or, you know, brings even a little bit of excitement or engagement those are the things that we need to do. You know, uh, the, the beer industry was spoiled for a long time with, you know, really just spectacular growth. Mm -hmm. And, and I think we've seen, you know, this, you know, COVID certainly, um, impacted that slowdown that was already happening, but it, it really forced us to come to terms with it. And I think the people and breweries and, you know, including uh, allied member, uh, you know, allied companies and, you know, companies like all about beer and companies like um, malt and, and hop suppliers, they also have had to come to terms with this. And, but what you do in the face of that challenge is the exciting part. And yeah. I think a lot of people have stood up and said, we're not going anywhere. Yeah. It's going to be harder than it was, but you know, it, Nobody got into the beer industry for it to be easy. Like, I mean, there's, there's, there are well, and the one, and the ones who do. did have, have long been, right. Yeah. Pushed right. out. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of the, you know, we're, we're so used to no churn in, in our industry as far as companies. And there's going to be some. I mean, there's by every measure, there's, you know, more breweries closing than there have been in recent history, but there's still breweries opening. And sometimes, you know, a brewery closes and their top talent may go somewhere else and help another brewery do something yeah. great, you know? Um, and don't get me wrong. I feel for those, for those uh, owners and those founders that have are, are going through that. Um, the first brewery I ever worked at it is now closed and that's that's hard and that's that's a challenge but the vast majority of the people i worked with are still in the industry and that's exciting to me because we're, we're learning we're taking that experience and and applying it looking forward yeah. you know we're we're we aren't you know we don't see the the tap room traffic that we saw five years ago okay how do we address that 
Yeah. That's a challenge. It, it, it's, it's exciting. And it, it means that we get to do things that we probably never would have done if we just continued to have people lined up outside the door when the, the doors unlocked, right? Like I like that it's, it's bringing diversity of experience to the industry, which I think is a great thing. Yeah. Um, I'd love for that to continue to bring diversity of other types. Um, I think it will, I hope it will. Um, and that's that all that is exciting to me. Like, yes, it's a, you know, sure. It, it's not as easy to just, you know, open your doors and crank out beer, you know, beer's not enough. And I think that's okay. I like that. And, and, and I, it's interesting in advance of this conversation. I mean, I remember when the brewery was founded and here we are, what, 10 years later. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's, it's by most accounts, a meteoric rise and, um, but smart growth and focusing in on, on, you know, particular beers and while growing, remaining flexible and uh, adapting to the imaginations of, 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 of the overall industry. And what, what is sort of interesting is, you know, you talk 10 years ago, there was all these, these lines that were out there of like, Oh, if you get into it now, like you're never going to be Sierra Nevada, you know, it's uh, if you get into it now and, you know, five, six, 7,000 other breweries are all getting into it at the same time, you know, don't plan your, your future around, uh, even being like a regional powerhouse, you know, focus on the small taproom model and, you know, like you, 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 you can be okay. And everything that you've been saying sort of, sort of so far is in, in my mind, speaks to what I imagine are pretty honest conversations in the mirror of the company over the last couple of years to get to where you are. And I, I I don't know how many people actually have those conversations, those honest, like, okay, like, you know, if we're going to do something, we got to do it all the way. Or if we're, you know, if we're going to do something like we can't just like, you know, wishes and hopes or, or that kind of thing. And, you know, I'm sure that there's been tough days um, along there, but what what is like you know the nine years that you've been there like what have those conversations been like the ones yeah, that you've been it in was, you know to get to where yeah, you are yeah now. That, yeah that's that's a that's a great point too I you know I joined as a shift brewer basically uh, to the company um, in in early 2015 so um, I do think that one I want to acknowledge the 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 growth that Rangeist had and it was. Uh, awesome in probably multiple uh, true definitions of that, uh, of that word to be a part of that. But we also have the, the benefit of, I, you know, I feel like we went through more than 10 years of experience in those 10 years, certainly not unique to us. I think a lot of people had, you know, a, a wide swath of experience, but, you know, when I joined Rheingeist, I don't even think there was a job open. It was just everyone was running and pushing and trying to keep up with demand for, for our beer. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, the brewing team was, was just, just, you know, there were about four or five people. It was cranking, it was brewing, it was dialed in as, as best as it could be. And, that translated out all the way from our packaging team to sales. You know, we, we started in, in self-distribution and 
we still do self-distribution in, in part of the state, but it was, it, the, the things happening, at least from my perspective in the background were, okay, initially we were renting the, what is now our taproom space. Mm-hmm. And very quickly, uh, Bob and Bryant, who are founders, along with our in- initial investors, realized that if we're going to grow, this isn't enough. This isn't enough space. And okay, we, we're we growing. Let's take advantage of that. And they invested a lot of that growth that we were seeing into purchasing the building, bringing in a larger brew house. Um, you know, we opened with a 20-barrel brew house in June, late June of 2013. And when I set my foot in the door the first time in March of 2015, there was already a 60 barrel brew house on site. It wasn't quite up and running quite yet, but it was already there. Yeah. And it was, and, and, and so we were able to, you know, one of the first things I did after kind of, you know, learning my way around our original system and brewing there was helping a couple other of the the team get the the big brew house up and running. Yeah. Now it's running, you know, you know, so much more efficiently and um, uh, uh, just it, with with a beauty that it never did when I was involved. So shout out to our, <laughs> our current production team. I could never, um, you know, the, I remember during COVID there was a joke. It was like me and a couple other uh, of our team that had brewed it was like well if if the brew team goes down you guys are up and it was it was like all right i'm pretty sure we can make beer but i don't it is not gonna <laughs> right it is not gonna handle um uh what 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 it's used to uh that that team you know it's a a synchronized symphony for sure uh they're brewing like 24 6 right now um and and so seeing that growth but also that investment back into the stability and structure of the company yeah, and you know, at the time I wasn't involved in that, but I I remember it was 2018, I believe. So about five years into our life as a company, that we hit 100,000 barrels. So that growth was wild, but that was also that's you know six years ago. Yeah, you know, fuzzy math, but. Um, We've also, you know, we did 109,000 barrels last year. So right. we grew last year, but it wasn't at, you know, 300% like it was uh, in the past. We're, we are happy and excited to have grown. I think one of the big benefits for us is we had going into 2019 purposefully slowed down a little bit, right? Um, one, we knew that our space couldn't, you know, we don't have infinite resources in our space to just right. continue to grow the way that we were. So we said, let's back and let's start working on being more efficient, being smarter, um, you know, dialing in some of our processes and our SOPs. A lot of those things were, we had them, we had SOPs, but they were, they were, they were loose and they weren't super refined because we didn't have time. And we, I, as I said, I think it was, fortunate for us timing that we took some time before everything really got rough to do that. And that meant that all that continued during, during COVID. Um, We, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say that we, we, we were able to keep most of our team and that team was, 
was nearly 300 people. And that's about how many people are on our team now. That's Um, incredible. You know, now not everybody was doing what they were doing before, but um, that, you know, that's also not uncommon. I mean, people did what, what, what they could. Of course. Um, And, but, but coming through that, it was also a time of transition. It was, you know, our founders were, um, honestly planning to kind of step back right before COVID and that really delayed their exit. You know, they kind of, uh, did, certainly didn't want to, you know, like, all right, uh, peace out guys, have fun dealing with, uh, with COVID. Um, and there's, and, you know, obviously they're, they're still involved. They're still, um, uh, running the, the company from a, a bird's eye view. Yeah. But they, they, in those, over the last five years, they've put a lot of focus in really building our leadership team and focusing on um, putting putting things in place for the long haul. And um, you know, we've got uh, Adam uh, is is now uh, our CEO, and he's he's been uh, been really fantastic. But I. And this is not in any way uh, uh, meant to be a slight on on uh, on Adam, but you know, part of his success is that we have a bunch of other people around him mm-hmm. that have been at the brewery, understand the industry, bring their level of expertise, and we really do have a great leadership team, and that's something that allows us to be flexible and adaptable because when when things are going tough for production, you know, that impacts sales, right? Sure. The, the beer has to be there. And so having these leaders that are having open conversations, nothing, you know, limiting surprises, things like that, that allows us to be flexible. And that flexibility is, as you mentioned, that's, it's so important um, these days. Yeah. You know, not everything works and you have to be flexible to respond to that. Um, you know, we've, we've seen that in, in some of the, some of the, the Rangeist products that, um, folks aren't going to see anymore. Okay. Um, But that doesn't mean that we're not going to continue to put out new innovation. You know, that's sort of the, like, if all your innovation works a hundred percent of the time, I, I mean, Awesome. But well, yeah, good on you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell that us how. Our, yeah. Right. That has not been our reality. So, it's so that's so, where it, I think yeah. a lot of excitement comes from. You know, I mean, our, our marketing, that is, our, our whole, all our marketing and design is in house. That I think is a huge advantage. And, and one of the big advantages of that is familiarity and flexibility. Our marketing team knows us, they know our brand, and they can turn on a dime. Um, that's, that's an advantage. And, and so it's, it's understanding what your advantages are. You know, I, I know that not everybody has marketing in house. Some people do, some people don't, but in the same way, you know, we, it is very complicated the way we do distribution. We self-distribute in uh, Cincinnati and Columbus markets, and we use wholesalers in the rest of Ohio and in the other States that we're in. Yeah. Operationally, that's complicated. Yeah. I will tell you that I have like the slightest view on, on some of those processes and it's comp it's complex. Yeah. Um, and 
but we try to take advantage of the benefits of self-distribution in those circumstances and take advantage of the partnerships that we have with our wholesalers in those circumstances. It You get to some extent what you build and doesn't mean you can't change what you've built, but ignoring it and tossing it aside isn't going to help you either. Yeah. It's so interesting to hear some of those early days, right? It, it in the last couple of days, um, you know, we're recording this towards the end of January of 2024. There's been uh, a few breweries that I've seen put up announcements uh, about closing, and in some cases, they're 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 talking about COVID, but there were two that stood out where, and these are breweries that have maybe been around as long as you guys, maybe just a little bit less, and they're citing their landlord as the reason that they have to close. You know, it's either the landlord sold the property without consulting us or, you know, they're raising the rents, you know, well beyond our means or anything else like that. And um, they're painting a picture and I don't know their books, you know, uh, these two that I'm thinking of um, where it's like, well, we would have been okay if it wasn't for the landlord. And in the last decade or so, there have been these sort of things that bubble up where, you know, Brewers get into a place, they get comfortable, you know, things are okay. And then the landlord pulls the rug out from underneath them and, you know, holy shit, we have to move or, you know, we weren't expecting this or, or anything else like that. Right. You know, some of those moves of just like having real estate, which I know is is, is enormously expensive, um, does kind of help give peace of mind when you're in control of your own land destiny. And absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was something that when, before I even showed up at Rheingeist, you know, Bob and Bryant, they, they didn't want to put a 60 barrel brew house in a building that, as you said, they didn't have control over for, for whatever that's worth. Any, anytime yeah. you own a building in a city, um, control is maybe, uh, limited, but that, that's something that has been a great advantage for us is we, we own our property and, I, you know, I've, I've seen some of those as well. And I've even seen, I mean, I'm sure you have, as, as also there's other breweries that are saying, you know, okay, they're not closing, but their rent has doubled or, right. you know, gone up an extra 50 or 70%. Like, yeah. Doubled those are, if they're lucky. Those are yeah. real, like, those are real problems, right? Like, like, um, you know, I, I, I love the, the, the quip and I, I don't know, I don't know where it came from, but you know, one of my favorites uh, that when I'm talking to people outside the industry is, uh, you know, they, they say the way to make a small fortune in brewing is to start with a large fortune. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's not, you know, you know, you, you can see success, but um, so much of that success is often put, put back into the brewery. And when, when something like your, projected you know rent costs or utility costs or ingredient costs and all of those things are going up now that goes up that's that's hard that's a challenge yeah um you know i mean we we raised pricing in our tap room in 2022 i think for the first time ever yeah we didn't you know and like it was it was funny because we were terrified to do it, right? Well, sure. Um, and I, I remember talking. Yeah, to no matter how good, our, no matter how good the beer is, you're always going to wonder, like, like, 
will people think it's worth the extra you know, 50 cents right. a dollar, whatever it is? Yeah. Right. And I remember talking to some of the bartenders after we did it and, uh, you know, not across the board, but to some extent, the response was, you know, people pay with their credit cards anyway. I'm not even sure how much, like people don't seem to care, you know, now does it mean that maybe they had two beers instead of three beers and ne- never said a word? Absolutely. That, that could be happening, but, um, you know, that, the, the benefit of everything getting more expensive is everything's getting more expensive and there's only so many things you can complain about, I suppose. Sure. Um, and, and that's where, you know, I think that we've seen that for the most part, people that are, you know, dedicated to drinking craft understand where things like, you know, the, like, people are experiencing it in other avenues of their life. It's not the brewery owners or the Brewers Association or whoever it is saying, there's an isolated issue causing price increase for beer. You know, everyone sees it, everyone's experiencing it. Um, you know, I see it when when I leave the house. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I mean, I in Cincinnati, the 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 housing market has, you know, in the grand scheme is, is quite relatively affordable, but you know, the value of, of my house has gone up, but if I were to leave, I I'm just buying into another expensive house. Right. right? So yeah, we've had that conversation. It, yeah. It'd be nice to move for, you know, maybe we get a down payment, but then what? Yeah. Right. And, and so, you know, fortunately I don't plan on going anywhere, but sure. that's the, you know, that's what, as you said, like these breweries that are in rental spaces, those those landlords, some, some landlords, you know, as you said, a lot of times these commercial leases are, you know, five to 10 years. And that 10 year mark is, is running up on a lot of breweries that opened. Yep. Um, you know, I've been, um, I, I used to tell people, uh, and I guess I still do sometimes people say, how long have you been in the beer industry? And I will say something like 8,000 craft breweries ago. Um, which maybe is not a helpful answer if you're not in the beer industry, but that doesn't make sense, but it is pretty wild. You know, there's a lot of breweries that have opened in the last dozen years and a lot of them are gonna have, and are going to be in these lease negotiations coming up. Um, And that's, that's something that, I mean, it, it, it bums me out. (laughs) You know, you see somebody who's, who's they've, they've made it work. They've, they've, They've balanced their business in a way that works for them. And they're just all of a sudden seeing some of these increases. And I think it's hitting, you know, I think the people that have three or four years on their lease, you know, they better be figuring out how to make it, it work going forward. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now's the time to start thinking about, you know, the future of, of the land. Right. You know, not at the six month renewal mark, but at the, yeah. Like, right, right. How can I? Hey, we were just I, notified you know, and got our thirty days, and holy shit, it's exactly. a fire sale. And you know, mm-hmm. we don't know what the future brings, but come buy our beer because yeah, we're gone. And yeah, you know, yeah. And and you know, that's I mean, that's part of the that's part of the business side of of running a brewery. You know, I mean, that's I think that was another sort of swinging back to your initial question of some of the themes of the Ohio conference. I think that there was definitely a focus on. The, the running a business part of running a brewery business. Yeah. Um, 
that I think is something that is, is really helpful and really important. You know, we had, we had a top 10 legal mistakes uh, presentation. We had a, um, you know, balance sheet conversation. We had, you know, like all of these things, you know, yeah, maybe it's not as sexy as um, talking about, you know, which, uh, you know, new malt variety or, or developments in uh, hop technology or, but, you know, you can't have one without the other. And, yeah. and I think that that's, I, I hope that continues as far as, you know, people learning what they don't know. And yeah. I, you know, that doesn't have to be water chemistry. It can be, you know, EBITDA. So I feel like that's a sentence that I've never said. I was, I was going to say, <laughs> I mean, I'm let you to. I'm, I'm glad to let you keep going on that if you want to. But yeah, that's. Uh, um, it's. It's it's cool to hear, you know. One, I mean, the real estate angle of it, but then two, talking about having marketing in house because it does help, you know, unify. The message and unify, you know, the team and 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 sort of helps with 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 brand cohesion, and then that sort of brings me to your role within the brewery of education and having that in house and having an actual dedicated person you know whose job it is to educate to be a teacher to be a um you know an advocate for you know how to treat beer properly you know both in house and then to sort of help the 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 general consumer um I wonder briefly if you can just sort of talk about you know how'd you go from you know an assistant shift brewer to to this. Right. Yeah. It was, um, <laughs> you know, when I, when I came in from, uh, uh, I, I lived in North Carolina previously and worked at a brewery there and moved to Cincinnati and, and took the, the job brewing at, at Rheingeist. One of the things that was different was I was, you know, working at a much smaller brewery and doing a lot of other things not just brewing. I was, I was, I was brewing a lot, but I was also, you know, doing events, um, helping out with, um, you know, everything we were involved with a homebrew club. We were right. I mean, it was, it was a small brewery. That's, you know, that's how that works. And when I got got to Rheingeist, um, Jim Matt, who was our founding head brewer, um, him and I had a lot of conversations and it was really when I came on, it was, there was some debate of like, well, we need some help in the brew house, but we also are going to need some help in uh, getting our, our our lab and our quality program uh, uh, up and running a little bit better and stronger. And we want to do some education because we're hiring a bunch of people um, as we grew. And not all of those people are super into craft beer or knowledgeable about craft beer or even care necessarily about craft beer. I mean, most of them did because that's how they found us at, at that early stage. But, you know, um, to be a great accountant, you don't have to be an expert on craft beer. Um, right. But we, our view was that if you're going to be a great accountant for a brewery, we'd love it if you know a little bit about beer. You know, the example I always gave was, you know, okay, you, you told your friends you got a job at Rheingeist. I guarantee you they're asking you beer questions and not anything about your job. Um, 
<laughs> right? Um, that's that's kind of the reality. Uh, I was just talking to one of our, our maintenance guys uh, who's relatively new. And that's he, he was like, yep, that was my experience 100%. He's like, nobody wants to hear about what kind of pumps I'm rebuilding and the way we manage our maintenance and uh, preventative uh, uh, scheduling. And right. He's like, everyone wants to ask about like truth or, right. you know, what's the, what's the hard tea about, right? <laughs> like, yeah, that's what people outside see. So we figured people should be educated. And that started as Jim and I helping out along with some of the other brewers doing just kind of some very informal staff training. And as we continued to grow, Jim actually moved more into the the lab space. He's currently, uh, you know, he's, he's still with the brewery. He's um, our chief science officer. So he really has just, you know, he's completely kind of shifted off the brew deck and focuses on our quality program. And for myself, kind of over time did the same thing it was after maybe a couple of years on the brew deck, started doing more regular training. Some of that started with um, bringing uh, the, some of the Cicerone program certifications into the brewery that that's been, um, you know, that we've worked with Cicerone um, for a long time, for a number of years uh, running, you know, I would run trainings and then we would get people set up to take the certified beer server exam. Um, right. We liked that because it's external to us, right? It's a, it's a, it's an outward demonstration that these people have, uh, you know, some level of knowledge did the same thing with running some classes for our staff about, uh, for level two for certified Cicerone. And that's, um, you know, that's something we've done for, for a number of years. And then just, you know, it really, so it started internally and then it, eventually sort of spread into, you know, somebody on our sales team might say like, Hey, like we've got this uh, restaurant group that uh, they're going to come in, they're going to tour the brewery, but could you spend half an hour with them just talking about beer? And that's a lot of what I do when I'm interacting with folks on the retail side or even, even wholesalers, I'm rarely talking specifically about Rheingeist or Rheingeist beer. Um, You know, my, my line is, you know, whoever, is whoever your sales rep is, that's, that's who's selling to you. I'm, I'm selling you on beer. Um, I, you know, I do grain to glass or off flavor tastings or kind of whatever, you know, sometimes uh, just some sessions on beer pairing and sure. Are the examples of beers that I give Rangai beers? Absolutely. Well, sure. But, but it, the, what I'm saying is not specific to Rangai's. Um, and, and that's where I think, I think education shows its importance is I'm a big believer in the idea that if, if someone, you know, you don't have to be an expert, but if somebody knows a little bit about what they like or knows what question to ask or knows how to get started, then they're going to make a, a more informed consumer decision. And if the person that they're asking those questions of whether it's a bartender at a tap room or a server at a restaurant or, or a, a, a clerk at a, you know, a grocery store. If that person has a little bit of knowledge and can maybe nudge them in the right direction, then that's a more positive experience for that consumer. And that's yeah. craft to me, right? It's, it's helping people find what they like. There are certain beer styles that I like very much. There are certain beer styles that I don't like as much. I appreciate them, but I only learned that 
by learning about those styles and trying them. Yeah. So, you know, I always say like, I don't, I don't get upset if somebody says they don't like one of our beers. I get not upset, but I get bummed out when people aren't willing to try something. Um, and that curiosity is what excites me about beer in general. And I think putting some structure in place, whether it's at your own brewery or working with your, your distributors or your retail partners, and not everybody's interested in doing that, but the ones that are, I, I, I think, and I hope they see benefit there. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I do, which is arguably, you know, not terribly um, education specific, you know, I, I get a lot of questions sometimes of like, oh, do you just do like staff trainings all day, every day? No. Um, <laughs> but a lot of what I do is kind of translating a little bit back and forth from the production side to the sales and marketing side or with working with our taproom staff. Um, different backgrounds and different strategies and different areas of the company use different language and come from different perspectives and have different goals to some extent. So trying to make sure that, you know, like I think of myself sometimes, and this is going to go over the head of probably anyone um, born after 1989 or something. But um, I always remember those BASF commercials. It was like, we don't make a lot of the things that you use. We make a lot of the things that you use better. Granted, I still have no idea what BASF does or did. Sure. But but, but that's a little you. bit of yeah. the that's a little bit of the approach that I take to my day to day. I might be working with our marketing team on one project one week and with our private events team on something completely different the next week. But if I can help share some knowledge about beer, improve, you know, maybe take a look at the tap lineup in the private event space and help them identify, you know, hey, we're getting a lot of questions about, you know, people that come in and they want a beer like this. What can we put on that's going to scratch that itch for people? Yeah. Those are the kind of things that I'm doing kind of day to day. Um, and, and that's fun. I mean, I, I'm all over the place in, in the best way. I mean, probably anyone listening to this is cognizant of that. Um, I will just talk and tangent and, and run wild as, as my brain goes. Um, I, I did a tour this weekend for a, a group and I don't normally give tours, but I was available and we did some tasting and it was a fun afternoon, right? Like that's the kind of stuff that is exciting to me. It keeps me connected. It keeps me engaged. It's why I try to be as involved as possible as, uh, as my time allows with organizations like the Ohio Craft Brewers Association, with the Brewers Association, you know, not at the national level. I try to be connected to some of our suppliers. Um, I don't, you know, hop, our, our, our hop suppliers, they, I, I know a fair amount of them and I spend time with them. I don't buy hops. Right. Ryan Geist buys hops, but I don't. But they're happy to have a conversation with me and explain some of the new things that they have going on. And then that helps me be able to explain it to our team. Have you and seen? That's where, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and that's where the, 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 those relationships, those connections are, are, I think, are valuable. And it's, it's why, you know, I, I, I try to do that with folks that I come in contact with. You know, I think of, I think of connection as a big 
a big piece of what I do. I imagine the answer is yes to this, but have you seen the dividends of, you know, having the accountants understand what's happening and having, you know, being that, that link from, you know, production to marketing and events and, and, and all that has, has just the nature of those baseline conversations, that baseline education before you get into the deeper stuff, does it put the brewery on better footing? Like overall? Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly think so. Um, right. Uh, yeah. If you, is, if is you that said, a, no, it's all a scam. Like, you're then, right. then we're right. going to end the show here. A, but yeah. Yeah. It, but I, I'll fully admit that it is that a super easy thing to demonstrate on paper? No. Are there individual examples of, of things that have been beneficial? Absolutely. Um, everything from, you know, um, maybe somebody in packaging um, noticing something off in in a beer and realizing that, you know, this is a new brand, but we're supposed to be packaging style A and this liquid doesn't match what I know about style A. So, it, you know, it was a mistake on how the tank was labeled, right? Like, and and not putting the wrong beer in a bunch of cans is absolutely uh, <laughs> financially valuable. Um, but even just like with with our marketing team, um, you know, I think they, I hope they would agree and 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 say that they benefit from uh, that connection with with me and with our production team. Um, it's one of the things that, as much as I'm sitting here saying that we do it a lot of what I spend my time thinking about is how do we do it better? How do we better connect these groups? Um, you know, how do we, you know, we have 300 employees, like that's a, a lot to manage and people are on different shifts and working in different uh, roles and responsibilities, but having some of that connection in, in both directions, right? I think our brewers benefit from having conversations with our marketing team. And understanding a little bit of what what their challenges are, um, I have found my way into some of the compliance and regulatory areas that I never thought I would be in, and even just being able to, you know, being able to talk to our brewers or talk to the the marketing team who's designing cans or packaging and say like, hey, maybe we don't want to say this this way, or maybe we legally can't say this this way, um, early on. Uh, you know, before it's, you know, okay, well, we've really locked into this design decision and it's confusing, right? Um, things like that. What's the future of beer education? Well, uh, my, my, uh, my, my uh, cheeky answer, of course, is um, that's, that's going to be, I think, one of the big, uh, big topics of discussion at, at CBC, uh, I'm very excited. I'm going to be doing, uh, sitting on a panel with uh, Max uh, Finance from uh, ABV and M from Pints and Panels, along and with the All About um, Beer podcast. Yeah, yeah, and not to, um, not to take Pints that's and Panels true. away I, from I, mean, M. I was just yeah. listening to to Kernza. Um, yeah. So um, the but but also the um, uh, Kaylin Kirkpatrick, who is as of relatively recently, uh, last year or so, uh, 
the first director of education for the Brewers Association. And I think that, you know, I certainly have my personal opinions on where education is going and happy to share them, but I'm really excited to hear what, what those folks think as well, because they're all people that I respect. And I think they come at education from maybe a different perspective than I do. And, um, bring different strengths and and see different impacts than than what I see. I think one of the things that is is really challenging in beer education now is we've mostly grabbed the people that are going to be extreme beer you know they're 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 going to go all in on learning everything they can about beer. And I don't mean like, of course, there's people coming to beer and going, you know, down the rabbit hole deep every day as, as people discover craft beer. But what's really important is for us to get people to discover craft beer and to recognize that not everyone is like me and wants to spend their free time reading books about beer or memorizing style guidelines. Um, I never wanted to do that. No, (laughs) (laughs) but, but that was, um, you know, I think so much of beer was built around the, the history of, of brewing. And, and certainly I want to be cognizant to, to be aware that it was the, uh, Western, very European, uh, history of, of brewing. And that shaped the early days of craft you know, in the the nineties, early two thousands, you're going into a brew pub. There's going to be, I mean, you talked about this in, uh, in, uh, in Ohio, there's going to be a brown ale and a rail and a stout and a blonde ale. And those all have their roots in that European brewing tradition. Mm-hmm. Now stuff is all over the place. People are yes. brewing all kinds of things. We as, as American craft beer have a history now, you know, we have history. So, there's so much that doesn't fit neatly into the quote unquote established guidelines. I think that styles and style guidelines are very important because they provide context, but I think we need to also understand how to talk to people and how to convince people that beers that don't fit style guidelines are also worthy and great. And how do we talk about those and how do we get people excited about those and how do we get people excited about adding beer, you know, into their repertoire, um, you know, Bart's, Bart's omnibibbery, um, uh, argument, right. Um, people drink lots of different stuff. It'd be awesome if that was beer for more people, right? Like that's it. Like that's to me, that's the end game, right? We need people that can go into a, a bottle shop, a grocery store, look at a tap list, look at a restaurant list and one, see some variety, but two, understand how to choose and choose mostly right for them. I like that. I hope brewers are paying attention um, to what you just said there. Cause yeah, I want to see more of it and I want to see, yeah, I just I I don't see as much of it as I'd like and 
I like what you're doing. So yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and don't get me wrong. Like it's, it's tough. It's easy. Right. I mean, I can sit here and say like, we should have this huge variety of things for people to try across color and flavor and everything like that. But um, every time we brew anything with Belgian yeast, it doesn't sell right now right. is, is, yeah. But what if you put it in a that? 750 green glass bottle, right. then, right. then it's going right. to sell. Yeah. But is, but is some of the reason for that, that like, I don't think it's that people don't like those flavors. I think that people don't know what those beers are like. And that's kind of what I mean for like, I think talking about flavor more than style, talking about the experience of a beer, which is like maybe very esoteric and, and, and meta, but um, that's what's going to convince somebody because not everybody cares that a beer is, oh, it's a 300-year-old style from, you know, the the northern part of Germany. Like, okay, I think that's neat, but I need to be aware that not everybody thinks that is neat, right? <laughs> right? Somebody might just want something that's like interesting and provides a different flavor experience. Oh, you like margaritas? You probably would like Berliner Weiss. And, and hell, half the Berliner Weiss that are out there aren't even called Berliner Weiss. So let's yeah. just, you might like this tart beer that is on the, list right? right like that's great and using like, the word tart over sour and using yeah there's yeah right right i dig that um when is the if you have it off the top of your head just so people can start to mark it on their um on their calendars when is the conversation during cbc in las vegas this year yeah yeah that'll be interesting um, I think, I think they're posted. Okay. Um, then just go to the website. Me... I think it's just craftbrewersconference.com, but yeah, yeah, I think so too. All right. Um, yeah. It's, that... um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I can look it up quickly and yeah, no, I no, no, really that's, that, that's fine. I, you know, I'm putting you on the spot with that. Um, before I let you go, uh, I wanted to ask you the green door question, which is what I've been asking folks on the show for quite some time now. And the the premises on the television show, The Good Place, in the final season, they uh, introduced the concept of a green door where the characters can walk through it and be anywhere doing whatever they want to be doing. And if we had a green door on our plane of existence and this conversation ended and you could walk through it and be at any pub or any brewery anywhere in the world – where would you want to go? Who would you want to be with? And what would you like to be drinking? Yeah. So I, I, I knew this was coming and it was, uh, it's funny because I, you know, the, uh, the Sean and uh, from Noble Beast, who was just on, um, you guys were talking about Bomberg and yeah. I've never been, and that is very high on my list. Um, but I think, um, I think one thing that would be uh, really neat is I'm, I'm so interested in where beer is going. Um, I think I would love to just like walk through a green door and, and pop myself into, you know, like the best new brewery of 2030 and 
have a, a pint or, a, you know, it probably maybe we're metric by then, I don't know, 250 sure. mils of, <laughs> of their, uh, their flagship and served to you by a robot. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, no, but I think that, I think that's the, I think that's the thing. I, I don't think, I don't think people are, are going away. Um, I, I'm a big bar, I'm a bar sitter. So I, I would just want to sit up at the bar and, you know, maybe the person that, uh, I'm there with is the, the person serving me that, that beer and just talk to them about what the industry is like now and, you know, have my, my, my biff moment of seeing, seeing where the world is going. Um, because I, I can't even guess, you know, yeah. if you, if you had, if you had, <laughs> if we'd had this conversation five years ago, I would never have guessed that this is where we are. No. Um, so I, I love the idea of like, let's jump like 10 or 12 years in, into the future and see what people are drinking. I really dig that. And I hope, you know, six years from now that, uh, you're still out there educating and that people are still eager to learn and to embrace all that's around them. So Chris, thanks for, thanks for being on the show this week. Thanks for taking the time and, and, sharing some insights. I, I, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I've, I've, uh, it's been great having conversations with you and, uh, really enjoyed being, being on the show. And I did find it. It's Wednesday, April 24th, <laughs> 10 to 11 AM. <laughs> Perfect. That's just late enough where, yeah, you can, you can shake it's off time the to night get some before. coffee before, before we jump in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you should be offering that Bloody Marys for everybody who shows up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so where are you focusing your beer education these days? Tell me about it. Get in touch with questions, comments, or guest suggestions as well by emailing. It's John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at allaboutbeer.com. A reminder, go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can check out the podcast page, the merch page, which has some pretty cool This Week in Rauk Beer hats still available. You can also read great new content as well as the archives going back to 1979. And since I brought up This Week in Rauk Beer, don't forget you can find all of your smoked beer needs on This Week in Rauk Beer. Search the Facebook group or on Twitter and Instagram. It's at TWRaukBeer. All About Beer is on social media as well, at All About Beer. And if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, and I hope you are, email us at info at allaboutbeer.com, or you can go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer, and a few bucks goes a long way. Speaking of advertising, all right, as promised, once again, I'm joined by Ryan Sharp. He is the producer of the Best of Craft Beer Awards, and he's here talking about what makes this competition a cut above the rest and why brewers should get involved. Ryan, there's often a question about uh, when beers are received versus when beers are judged, and I know a lot of brewers try to uh, time up their their submissions and their entries um, with when things hit the table. What's the timeline like for the Best of Craft Beer Awards? Yeah, we, uh, we've really kind of dialed in our process so that we can organize all those bottles and cans in cold storage and get them ready to judge and turn it around in two weeks versus three to five weeks at some of the other large events. And then what about how you communicate with the breweries? Well, we uh, try to hold ourselves to the same uh, 
you know, same level of communication as, as, as we do for the judges. And we try to answer calls and emails promptly, whether it's questions about the process or the categories themselves. We kind of want to demystify it so that brewers are confident in how it's run and don't find out after the fact that an entry got bounced because it was in the wrong category or on some other technicality. Yeah. And you offer a lot of feedback as well. We do. Yeah. We give them uh, uh, table feedback from the mid and middle rounds as well as the individual judge feedback in the preliminary rounds. But we think there's some additional value to be added in, in those uh, finding out you know, exactly why a beer did or didn't advance. I like that. What what have the previous winners or some of the previous winners told you about their experiences with entering into the Best of Craft Beer Awards? We're really proud of the number of breweries who come back year after year. Uh, they tell us our competition is a great proving ground before they pay the higher entry fees at World Beer Cup or GABF. Uh, and they send the brewers to judge with the competition because it's a fun experience and they see it as a professional development, getting exposed to such a wide cross-section of beers. It's pretty good networking, too. I like that. All right. So brewers, you now know what to do. Uh, you can register your beers through January 31st, 2024 by visiting the bestofcraftbeerawards.com slash register. Seriously, don't delay. You can learn more about the competition and get your beers signed up by visiting bestofcraftbeerawards.com slash register. Don't forget about the All About Beer podcast channel now. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Still, This Beer has new episodes every Monday. The BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. And original content goes up on probrewer.com every Tuesday from the writers of All About Beer. So check out probrewer.com. As for this show, Mitch Weber does the music. Jeff Quinn designed our logo. And I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.